0: Blog Talk Radio
1: Angeles, California, welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain.
0: Good evening, everyone. I'm your host, Shaw McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow me on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. The call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744, and the Paranormal and the Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. During the show, I can take your questions in order and chat, and we also call in with a question to speak with our special guest. But I have to warn you, any buzz killers in chat or on the phone will be kicked out and blocked, and that'll be it. You can't come back again. And I have a copy of your number, so I'll call you back and bug you next time. Anyway, just play nice and be polite, and that's it. Okay, I have a few announcements before we get our special guest on. Melinda Leslie is an amazing UFO t- person. She's an experiencer, and she does a UFO tour in beautiful Sedona. And right off the bat, I'm going to give you her phone number because she takes tours out, and she uses Generation 3 military night vision goggles. And her number is nine two eight two eight two. Two zero eight five, and uh, she's very informative. And she's and Melinda Leslie, is your guide, and she shares her exper- expert knowledge on all things UFO, and also about the Sedona vortexes. And she's also happy to share some of her own, uh, you know, experiences. Anyway, you can sign up for the Center of the New Age at any time. The tours are seventy five bucks a person. The first four people, and then the fifth person is free. Kids 14 and under are always free, and she says that uh, kids are great at finding UFOs, and she says she loves them to come along. So she also has group rates, so just give Melinda Leslie a call at the number I just gave you. Let's see here. The number, one more time, is 928-282-2085, and I also want to let you know that zero. And Ciro International Support Group is a meeting for experiences of alien abduction and contact. I've been a member there for, I think it's going on 23, 24 years. And uh, Yvonne Smith is a world-renowned hypnotherapist. She's been on every kind of show, and she has two books out, and uh, she's a president and director anyway. She's also the hypnotherapist who does past life regressions, and also does the regressions to get out uh, any kind of, uh, things that uh, have, if you're traumatized and it's also good for stress and reduction and relaxation and uh, you can reach her at www.cerointernational.com and I just want to give you a little bit about Marilyn Salis's just her, her love's blessings essential oil she has 26 essential oils and she's very into healing and she's a lovely lovely person I love her very much so if you want to order her Uh, Love's Blessings Essential Oil, Uh, you can go to www.lovesblessing.com or you can reach her at OjaiHealer at gmail.com and uh, get Marilyn's uh, products. Beautiful bottle, and there's a crystal on each bottle, and it's really lovely. And uh, she lives out there in Ojai with her wonderful husband, Captain Robert Salas, who we all know. Okay, and then i got to tell you the big deals coming up. Travis Wall, the Skyfire, Skyfire Summit, November 5th through 8th, 2015. Anyway, it's coming up. And the website is www.skyfiresummit.com. November 5th through 8th. The historic conference marks 40 years from the day Travis and his fellow crewmen encountered mysterious flying discs which would change their lives forever. And come and hear them tell their stories in person and during the panel with Travis, Mike Rogers, John Goulet and other witnesses. Walk through the forest with Travis to the actual site of the encounter. Hear what happened firsthand from the police officer who met them that night and the investigator who covered the case. I guess they're going to all be down there for you. Listen to lectures from a wide variety of UFO experts. Attend a Skywatch with Ben Hansen and catch the screening of Jennifer Stein's new documentary, Travis, which I want to see, and I hope you can buy that pretty soon. Anyway... You don't want to miss this once in a lifetime. Anyway, it's the 40th anniversary, and he's going to be doing this every year. But this is a big 40 when everybody gets together, and everybody's getting older, and you never know when it's the last time. So take advantage of it, okay? www.skyfiresummit.com. Now, I have somebody waiting on hold right now that's just an awesome person and guest and human being, and he's very well thought of in the community I'd like to introduce you to him now, and his name is David Harvey. David Harvey is a paranormal research archaeologist and historian, and he's an independent paranormal researcher with extensive experience on residential cases and historic sites of hauntings and things like that. And David is a former historian researcher for the Pasadena Paranormal Research Society and the co-producer and co-host and music director of the outer State Paranormal Radio podcast. And uh, I have it re- printed right on front of the show so you can listen to it. Uh, or go to ASPARA radio.wordpress.com. And he's also a member of the Paranormal Consultation, Consultation Network. And let me see, I'm going to ask him to give the rest of the stuff himself. And he gives numerous lectures and radio interviews on the topic of the paranormal. And he was a instructor uh, for the things that shouldn't go bump in the night. Anyway, he has over thirty years of experience in museum and cultural preservation fields. Very interesting. Uh, he has been a museum blacksmith, archaeologist, and historian. And his his long current career as a professional museum art artifact, architecture monuments and sculpture conservator and museum consultant with projects ranging from private collectors to major museums. Anyway, he's done so much, and he's uh, so learned, and we're just proud to have him on tonight. So I'd like to welcome David to the Paranormal and Sacred Radio Show. You're live, David.
1: Hi, Charlene. Thank you for having me on.
0: How are you?
1: I'm doing fine.
0: That's good. Um, So welcome to the show. So I wanted to read some of that because uh, you have such a uh, – a uh, interesting uh, uh bunch of stuff that you do and there's nothing to me good, better than finding something old or or digging up a treasure
1: um yeah i have a i have a pretty diverse background and uh like many people who uh have an interest in the paranormal i have a day job um uh ever since a child i've been um uh, as a very young child i had a a a big curiosity about um uh, exploring history and uh, curiosity about um, sort of what happened in the past and uh, uh, also in science. So that sort of informed me as I went through school and uh, then after school. And uh, I was lucky enough to um, get a job with a museum just a, a couple years out of college. And then uh, I, my my career really started. But I've, I've done a bunch of things. I, I I was an archaeologist for several years. I dug up dead people. So that's my that's actually my email address. I dig dead people because it's true. Um, <laughs> and uh um I've done uh, uh conservation um a lot of people call it restoration um but restoration uh, is what you see on the history channel with the guy that makes everything shiny and looking like new you know he does the metalwork and it looks like uh the the coke machine from 1945 all shiny that's restoration um conservation is actually um more academic more scientific and um we really don't are, we don't make something brand new we we basically look at look at its condition we assess how it's falling apart or deteriorating, what the problems are. It may be broken. It may be missing pieces. It may have other problems. Um, and then we stabilize it. We make sure that it's uh, it's not threatened. We stabilize it. And then sometimes, you know, if, if a ceramic is missing a section, often in archaeology you get smashed pieces of pottery on archaeological sites. And so you piece it together. You may be missing um, areas. And so you can fill those areas with an inert um, material that's not going to harm, you know, what it's next to. And then you can paint that so that it's either just a, 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 a blank color or it matches what's next to it in terms of its texture and its appearance. Um, so we do sort of loss compensation that way. We don't make it look brand new. And uh, often, especially with archaeological materials, um, things like old ceramics and uh Other things may contain even thousands of years old may contain the residues of food, of wine, of drink, of uh, um, let's say they use something like a brazier in order to uh, uh, do smudging or to burn incense. So you'll have residues from that. And so there's a there's a whole section of archaeology. It's becoming more and more scientific to analyze analyze those kind of things and to determine what people were doing in the past. What were they eating? How were they cooking? How did they live? Um, what well, you know what was life like back then so that's what archaeology seeks to answer and um uh, it's just you have to dig everything up and record the living crap out of it you know uh, use gps to mark where everything is you know, and and uh, with 3d scanning you can uh, even do that faster than we used to do it in my day and um uh, and that way because you're destroying the site as you dig it up and you just don't dig something up to find treasure it's uh it's meticulous work. It's hours and hours and hours of mo- moving soil and stone and brick and and just people's trash from the past. And so you do that so that you can reconstruct and make sense of that site, of that house, of, of that um, uh, whatever, you know, was there and what people were doing to give you an insight into how people were living. So that's what archaeology is.
0: So fascinating, and what's the the best the most interesting thing that you've found
1: um, well i found in my in my years of doing that, I found a number of things I did it back east in eastern Virginia, and so the sites we worked on ranged from uh native american sites uh, uh woodland sites that would be um Uh, 10,000, 12,000 years old up to uh, contact period when the Europeans, you know, were there after they came to Jamestown. Um, We would find civil war sites and revolutionary war sites. We would find um, uh, domestic sites from the 17th and 18th century, a couple of early 17th century forts. Um, You know, uh, I found uh, in walking through the woods, uh, trying to locate sites because a developer was going to turn this, bunch of property next to a river into a golf course. So you walk through and you try and identify what's in the way. Um, we found moot diner stuff from the 1930s, right? You know, an old still that had been blown up. So you find stuff wow. like that. Um, you know, I, I, to me, the most precious things were the organic things because things like wood and baskets and uh, um, textiles, they don't survive in the ground very well unless they're in the bottom of a well where there's uh basically it's in the mud and no oxygen got to it and then it's preserved. So um you know I I've, I've found the 17th century cloth buttons from the 1620s and and found uh the parts of a palisade. It's a it's a wall that they would dig a ditch and um split split logs and then put the logs down to create a fence or a palisade. And uh, so we found literally the remnants of uh, cedar wood that had been used for that from a 1640s uh, fort. Um, so th- that stuff is, uh, you know, it's 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 you see far less of it in the archaeological record. You'll find ceramics all the time, uh, but to find sort of the things made out of wood and the really perishable materials, that's kind of special.
0: Yeah, and I hear there's some things that don't perish, like they found honey. That was a couple thousand years old, and it was still there. It still had honey in it. The, well, it, depends on the
1: con- it depends on the context. Um, uh, that may have been found in a more uh, desert environment, maybe uh, Middle East or Egypt, yeah. and uh, if in a pot. You know, it's desiccated, so that there isn't the uh, moisture and oxygen are the two things that deteriorate almost all materials. Um, the thing about honey is it's a natural antibiotic, so. Um, you're not going to get bacteria acting on it as much as you would with other things. Um, but still, you know, if there's a broken jar of honey, you think animals are going to get to it. And then eventually if, if it gets moist and is exposed to air, it'll, it will oxidize. So, you know, uh give incredible things that survive in very dry environments and very cold environments. That's why if you're climbing Mount Everest this week, you're walking past human bodies that have been there 70 years. It's
0: Terrible. It's terrible. I've heard there's so many bodies up there that it's like a shame or a crime up there. It's like a crime scene now, but they don't want to move well, the bodies. They, I guess just they just leave them. No, they
1: can't. They can't. Uh, when you when you get into that what they call the depth zone above 20,000 feet, um, the oxygen is so low, and you've got to get up and get down literally to make sure you're not dead. So they they really can't bring those bodies down. There's there's really nothing they can do. They've they've moved a few of them off the trail so they're not quite as visible, but um, and they've covered a couple up. But uh, now there's no way they can bring those down. Um, it's just uh, right now with current technology and the safety factor, they just can't. Um, wow. That's why those, those up there, yeah,
0: they are still up there. I wonder, you know, now that we're we're really on our going to our topic of hauntings and ghosts, I wonder if there's hauntings up there because of the way that they die and the, and, and their bodies are just
1: left there it could be i don't know anybody who's done uh EVP sessions at 20000 feet um <laughs> i'm i'm sure that's kind I'm of sure extreme somebody, i'm sure somebody might um it is a sacred mountain to the uh uh to the uh and and in 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 the tradition of the uh, of the local uh, nepalese um uh tribes so uh, um people so uh, it does have that aspect and so uh you know there's there's always uh the uh, the thing about getting a blessing before you climb the mountain um so uh, yeah. you know there there i'm i'm sure it's full of uh, elementals or nature spirits um, because that's what the tradition is especially uh uh any all mountain peoples all cultures uh, mountains the andes and uh other places that uh, believe in that so uh Um, that might be present. Uh, Who knows? You know, somebody goes up with a recorder and decides they've spent a hundred thousand dollars to do an EVP session at 20,000 feet. We won't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a, it's interesting thought because uh, that I think that's where the Yeti is from and everything else, but it would be very interesting to uh, hear about that someday. You never know because it's possible because the way people die and they're just left. But anyway, so let's go on to our our main topic and uh the Halloween season's coming up and I was like, so excited to have you on so we can just begin to cuz my third anniversary show is actually that Friday before the Halloween Saturday.
1: Oh, congratulations. And on,
0: thank Great you. Years. So, yeah, your 3 years. A lot of shows. I I have done a lot of shows. Show lot of shows. <laughs> it's really hard but I, I have met so many friends and supporters, and it's really giving me a whole new part of life, really. And uh, so I really like it. It's, I've had some, uh, you know, weird things that happened, you know, but um, it's okay. And it, you got to toughen up to do this.
1: Well, you know, I believe this Hunter Thompson, it. this is a quote from Hunter Thompson. Um, when the going gets weird... The weird turn pro. Okay, yay! That's a great uh, quote true. I love.
0: I love that quote. And uh, so, let's. You are very highly thought of, and you're actually one of the partners with uh, our dear friend Marla Freeze, and she really uh, believes in you and uses you like extensively for uh, what we're about to talk about. Oh yeah, I'm I've, I've
1: known uh, I've known Marla for a few years, and we became fast friends, instant friends, and uh, um, we're both very spiritual people. I mean, to me, actually, getting in—you know, uh, like many people, and I'm, I'm sure it may have happened to you—you you had strange experiences as a child. You had paranormal experience. I did, and then off and on over the years, I had these other experiences, and it's like. Uh, it, But but back then you would tell somebody about it and it was a story right and then what really got into the paranormal investigation over ten over ten years ago um, was um, that you could record you could get a voice that you could get some sort of something you could play back for somebody else and that um, so, so that's what got me into it and then many people do this as a hobby it's something fun it's kind of creepy you get into old places historic places. Um and uh you know a lot of people do it so they want to prove that uh they're a ghosts um, um, but for many people and uh uh people like Marla and myself, once you get into it 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 's actually much more of a spiritual journey, and you learn a lot of things about yourself and you learn um yeah you, know, you know people we'll get we 'll talk about this later, but uh people have different sort of awareness of sensitivity. So, um, some people will pick up on feelings, uh, physical and, uh, emotional feelings of other people and past. Other people may be psychic and then get glimpses of somebody's past or somebody's future. Um, and, uh, and, uh, other people are mediums where dead people talk to them. Uh, and so Marla is a uh, credible psychic medium. And, yes. uh, and her, again, her gift, you may have had that when you're growing up, but it's kind of suppressed, you know, as you go along, because it's not it's not the kind of thing you tell other kids without, you know, because you're going to get joked about and you're seen as strange, stuff like that. So you tend to tend to keep that to yourself. It's a very powerful experience when you're a child, and so as you're growing up, don't, you don't tell too many people about it. Um, but then, you know, when you start on this journey of of wanting to explore it and uh and wanting to bring more awareness to it, then there's it, tremendous spiritual growth. And so, uh, but that that has been that has happened to me, and uh, it's happened with Marla and many other people. And uh, it's it's a pretty um, remarkable thing to have, have happen in your life.
0: It is, and I think that as all of it is that uh, it's for our own personal growth, and uh, because there's a meaning and a purpose why we're uh, driven or pulled into a certain direction and then that's how kind of how you find your real self and you're very uh, much better at helping others when you're actually into your real mode where you belong
1: well yeah and and um you know i i think the best of any human endeavor is to help help others but there are, people do things for all different kind of reasons so um, I know a lot of people tend to get get upset with the paranormal field that, you know, these people aren't serious, they're joking around, or these people want to get TV shows. You know, there's a fair amount of that in the paranormal field where somebody wants to be a star and be on the History Channel and, uh, you know, uh, for Demon of the Week or UFO of the Week kind of stuff or Bigfoot of the Week kind of stuff. And uh, But that's fine. If, if that's their thing, if that's what's motivating their life, that's them. And as long as they're not hurting anybody, it's really not my business what their intention is, as far as that goes i don't I don't make a point of going after people because they have different intentions than me for me, I want to help people I want to learn I want to grow, and I want to help people and so that's why I'm in it
0: that's great. so if somebody uh feels that their house is haunted, what do they do
1: well um uh if if somebody thinks their house is on it they uh they they it's interesting i i i started with doing inve- i i learned by doing investigations in historic sites many of them famous like the queen mary and and uh um other places like that um but then uh literally within my first years i started doing what are called residential investigations in other words something's happening at somebody's home something weird And they it's creeping them out. They're scared, and so they want somebody to come in and to try and figure it out. So, uh, um, when somebody contacts me, um, I, you know, I first of all want to know what's going on. So I let them tell me what's going on, and um, after I hear that, then I want to know who's experiencing it. So is it just one person in the home? Cause that's kind of a red flag. If it's just one person experiencing it and nobody else in the house, nobody else around has experienced anything, then that's a little check Mark. That's a little thing to look at, uh, closer. Um, and I have to tell you in the years I've been doing this, I have had clusters of people with obvious mental illness who mm-hmm. were having paranormal experiences. And, uh, Several, you know, several of them confirmed it. You know, a guy who said the red heel in the car was telling him to do you know, bad things, and I was telling him, well, does the uh, uh, does it happen when the car is running, or does it happen when the car uh, when you have the car turned off? And he said it happens all the time. And then he told me a story about, you know, he kept having the same argument between. He got thrown out of his church because he argued with the priest. He got thrown out of his parents' house where he's living because he had the same argument with his parents, and then he got lost his job. From so, all this cluster of things, and I could Mm -hmm. tell it's obvious mental illness. And so, because it was only happening to him, and so I was like, "Well, um, you need to stop living in your car. (laughs) You need to get into a stable situation." Now I can't, you know. And I explained to him, I said, "There's not enough here for me to say it's paranormal. It could be, but." It may not be, but the important thing for you is getting a more positive environment. So, I would advise finding somewhere else to live where you're not in the car near the radio all the time. So, you know, giving him something he could understand, which is the radio's bothering me, let me get away from the radio. And so, you hopefully put that person, you know, where he can get some help and get some uh, mental health services and whatnot without basically um, fueling any paranoia or anything, you know, by. Coming out and saying you're not believing them, because people believe what happens to them. You well, it it may only happen to them. So that's that's why if one person is experiencing it and it's a story like that, then obviously, you know. And and the thing is, I uh, too many people in the paranormal field tend to see ghosts everywhere, tend to see spiritual stuff everywhere, and it's a real disservice to somebody who's mentally ill, who may have schizophrenia or some other mental illness, serious mental illness to basically say, oh, yes, it is a ghost, I'll, you know, and you feed into that illusion, and they're not getting the help they need, and it can also be dangerous, you know, so uh, in terms of people who, because uh, I've had people call me and tell me that, uh, um, you know, the, uh, the their friend or their boyfriend or a person in their family um, would uh, um, uh, threaten to uh, kill them or kill themselves, and then they would pass out, and they wouldn't remember it, and it's like, you know, you got to get, – got to see doctor first. You know, uh, I'm, yeah, because you have to.
0: You also have to rule out substance abuse because some of that is uh, drug based, but it can also be uh, part of a negative spirit maybe in the house that's contributing to alcoholism and drug abuse. It could feed off each right. other.
1: But what you have to do is, especially if somebody is threatening to harm themselves or somebody else, as I tell people, that's a 911 situation. I'm not going to sit on this phone any longer and tell you that it's a ghost. You go, you make sure the person is stable, they're taken care of, you have them examined by a doctor, and then we can look further into the spiritual part of it because that's what I do. But I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to walk you down the path saying that it's, it's a spiritual thing when it could be something really serious or where they need help. So uh you know, I approach it that way. If if it's a situation where somebody calls me and there are a bunch of different a whole family's experiencing stuff, then
0: yeah.
1: okay. Okay. Um but you know, I, I want to get as much specific information as possible about what's happening. Um because there are patterns that happen in usually in paranormal cases in terms of what happens. Um for instance, they hear footsteps at two thirty AM going up going up and down the stairs. And it's like, okay, does it happen around the same time every night? It's not every night, but it happens the same time when we hear it. And does it sound exactly the same each time? Yeah, it's exactly the same. It's like heavy boots running up and down the stairs. It lasts for a couple of minutes, and then it's gone. Okay, so it's a repeating thing. And a a sort of a a paranormal phenomenon like that that's repeating um, is what we call a residual. And so... What what a residual is, is that um, the material and the fabric in the house somehow has absorbed some past event, and it plays it back, It's whether it's environmental or due to the materials. But for whatever reason, it plays back like uh, a, a, a music CD that has scratch in it. It skips, and, it, and then it repeats it. And so that's that's what we call a residual. And same with the famous uh, lady in white in England at the castle that walked the same path. Each time um well that apparition never noticed anybody around her. She would do the same thing each time, so when you get something that repeats like that more 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 than more often that's that's a residual what we call a residual haunting. it's not intelligent, it's not aware, it's not out there has no intent towards you because it's just it, it's like a little film clip just playing and replaying and replaying so um part of my conversation with a person, if I see that pattern and I tell them about it, um, I try and put them at ease explaining what it is, what it probably is, and that um, uh, there are ways of kind of calming things down, of, of helping sort of lower the energy in the house so it's not happening as often. Um, but that's a very common thing. The same thing, uh, I don't know what it is about uh, kitchens, but people hear the sound of dishes being washed and conversation in their kitchen at 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh That's a very common one. And, uh, again, when I ask uh, the husband or the wife or the kids, you know, what does it sound like? They describe exactly the same thing. And uh, the interesting thing is that on many of these cases, members of the family haven't talked about it. So, you know, when I I do visit the house or the apartment and I'm interviewing them, they're all sitting down and suddenly, like, the child will will say something and it's like, but the mom goes, hey, I saw that, too. And so they haven't talked, you know. Um, it's just interesting that they haven't communicated about this, like, really creepy stuff that happens in the house. Um, and well, they believe they're that, the
0: only one it's happened to. You know, they don't really want to uh, – because we actually, me and my two kids, lived in a haunted house, actually close to where I am living now. And we heard some heavy footsteps that would walk across, open the front door, walk across near the heater. So it would even, if you walk by a heater, it would make the heater click. The weight, you could hear the footsteps, the heater click when somebody walked by because it would do that. And then go into the kitchen, open up the cupboard, shut the cupboard, and uh, all that. And uh, we all heard the same thing. But uh, we weren't really talking about it. We would get up in the middle of the night, and I'd go check. I could start checking when I'd hear stuff, you know. And then my son would wake me up and say, Mom, you know, somebody's in the kitchen slamming the, and opening the doors and shut. And, uh, you know, we all had something to say about it. But I heard little kids laughing one time when I was in the bathroom in the middle of the night, and my kids were sound asleep.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the walking around stuff is very common, um, and uh, uh, the the other typical common things people hear knocking. And so, you know, the first thing you want to sort of explore you first of all you want to find out where they were where they heard the knocking. So if somebody says I heard knocking, I'm like which room, and which which side of the room was it coming from? Uh, and that's very important to to again to figure out. I, I often we'll get people to send me uh, floor plans of their houses and their apartments and, uh, you know, what is uh, – um, uh, and, and also photographs of the room. So that I uh, – you you actually look into it like a uh, forensic crime investigation. So you want to be very precise mm-hmm. and very specific about what has happened, where it's happened, because if it's an external wall and there's a tree or a bush, then the knocking could be coming from the branches. Uh, or it could be coming from an animal, and uh, I've had people like, it's not it must be demons. And it's like, um, well, do you have any animals in your walls, you know? And people did. They looked into it, and they had like a bird trapped in the wall and stuff, or they had mice or rats, and uh, um, so uh, you know, there. They're, I always look for the for the uh, reasonable, normal, practical ex- explanation first. Um, a lot of people report lights going on and off and TV going on and off. And it's like with electronic electronic stuff will do that. So, you know, I always ask if they've had an electrician check it out. Because you look for the, again, the common sense explanation first uh, before ascribing it to something paranormal. But um, I've had other cases where people have literally seen, you know, tables and chairs move in front of their eyes. Um, uh, they've had... Uh, uh, objects uh, disappearing and reappearing, um, and uh, they they've had a, a bunch of, a bunch of other things that have happened that just can't be explained by normal means. Um, and um, I have to say, in, in the years I've been doing it, 95% of the cases, if there is a ghost in the house, it it's literally a person you can't see. It's just somebody who um, has passed away. It doesn't mean you know. Often it's somebody who may have lived in the house, but it could be somebody who just wandered in because somebody might notice. They just want to get attention and get noticed. Uh, I often work with mediums like Marla. So um, that way I I can learn the story of who's around and why they're there and what they need. Because often, you know, to settle things down, you need to help the person, the kind of lost person who's there. Uh, Some of them don't even know they died. It's very funny when you're, you yeah, know talking to a spirit through a medium, and uh uh you know you're hearing kind of the point of view of a ghost, and you're saying well, you're dead, <laughs> oh really, yeah, yeah really? wow <laughs> some of them don't know some of them don't know, some do
0: sometimes uh, they're the last ones to know you know,
1: yeah, so um it's you know i I like doing sort of the uh uh the kind of serious scientific part of it, but also, you know, I've learned to work with mediums that I trust on cases in order to, you know, get resolutions for people because often teams will go in, they'll do, you know, they'll pull out all their toys, they'll do their investigation, and then they'll leave. And then the family, you know, I've seen, I've had, I've had families contact me after they've had paranormal teams in, and they weren't happy because the team came, did their stuff, posted some audio or video on their website, and that was it. They didn't mm. help them. And so That's not and often right. when come in, they make things worse, um, you know, because, uh, again, paying attention to some of these uh, energies or entities in someone's house uh, really can kick up the activity, especially if somebody's throwing, you know, imagine you're a ghost. You lived in the house 50 years ago, and somebody's throwing holy water at you and telling the demon to go away. That's kind of kind of piss you off.
0: <laughs> yes. So, and it probably so, won't you know, work. So, um, Well, a lot of people... You know, I'm just of... realizing how disrespectful it can get. You know, I just oh, never yeah. thought of that part of it, of the disrespect for the families and the the spirit. I mean, it's... it's uh, hmm. I never well, thought it again, that I, I
1: think that's a, that's a very important point because i think you have to respect you have to have respect in everything you do and so you have to respect the living people in the situation and you have to respect any spirits in the situation and even if you're facing a demonic or a negative entity got to respect them too um but a lot of people you know uh, some people watch what they see on TV on particular shows, and so they think the best thing to do is to go in and yell and scream and provoke. That way, they'll get lots of stuff on their recorders. And I, I once uh, once uh, talked to a young guy who um, was a fan of one of these shows, and he was like, uh, mm-hmm. he was telling me a story of how he uh, uh, was yelling at this spirit to punch him. And I looked at him and I said, Why are you doing that? Why would you ever? Take the chance of yelling at something that's invisible to hit you. Even if it doesn't, you know. But yeah, you're telling it to hit you. That's that's not a. Would you tell somebody in a party to? You know. Yeah, and
0: then there's something sinister. Actually, something else could happen. You know, you could be you could be messing with a spirit that's smarter than you are.
1: Well, it's just you don't walk in trying to pick a fight with anybody, and you don't walk in to piss anybody off. You're there to learn what's going on and uh, try and pick up on enough evidence or clues to figure out if something, you know, paranormal is there. And then you want to assess it and then come up with a plan to sort of quiet things down. And I always tell the homeowners it's fine to tell them to leave, but say please, be respectful, you know, to tell them to chill out. You know, uh, if they're waking you up at 2.30 in the morning, it may not be 2.30 in the morning where they're at, you know. I mean, that may have no meaning to them anymore if they're in spirit. So yes. you can just say, okay, I know you're around. Please back off. You know, let me sleep and uh, don't don't creep out my kids.
0: Well, you know, and, uh, uh, have you, uh, have you um, run into a, let's say, kind ghost? Like a nice well, look, ghost? I, of course,
1: of course, uh, actually a house that I moved to, uh, about, how many years ago was it now? About six years ago. Um, I moved in the house and my first, and I was the only one in the house when I moved in, um, my first, uh, 10 minutes in the house, I felt a, a, a cold spot right behind me in the kitchen. And I could tell that, you know, I mean, to me, that's uh, that. That's how ghosts approach. Is you'll feel a very intense cold spot right behind you. That that's how it manifests with me. And I I kind of get a sense somebody's around it. And I could turn around and put my arm into it, and then move my arm six inches outside of it, and it's warm. You know, it was on a warm summer day when this happened, and I could I could tell that it was a uh, uh, you know, a, a spirit in the house. And it turned out, uh, you know, uh, pretty quickly ascertained. It was, uh, um, probably an older woman who had lived in the house, uh, you know, many years before. And, uh, uh, she was, she was kind of happy to have somebody there who noticed her and who was taking care of the place. And, uh, um, you know, m- my dog was not freaked out by her at all. And, uh, um, she, uh, she was just a very warm and, uh, and, and very uh, she loved the place. I just got the sense that she really loved the place. And so, yeah, I've I run into children's spirits that are uh, that are very joyful. I, I felt one hug me on my leg one time, you know, like a, a, a little four- or five-year-old girl, you know, uh, who uh, the family had seen. Their little girl played with that little girl, the invisible one. Um, and, so, and was the family uh, you know,
0: okay with this? It was okay, well, or? they
1: had problems with other spirits in the house that were, um, they were pretty negative, really negative. So it was the child spirit they were fine with. The, the mother actually told us that the little girl had showed up after she had given birth to her little girl. And when she was in the hospital, giving birth to her little girl, um, that she lived, she had died on the table for about five minutes. They had to bring her back, had to restart her heart, um, so that may have been when this little girl spirit attached to her and just followed, since this woman had a very strong presence of mommy imagine if you're a little girl and you die in a hospital and uh you're looking for your mom and you then you're yeah. attracted to energy that reminds you of your mom and so it's this woman who uh is in the operating room and just she basically followed her back to her house so you know when she brought her uh, her baby home the little the little girl um spirit uh, came into the house so they were fine with her. They just didn't like the negative ones that were kind of attacking the children and throwing things. And it, it re, they really were. Uh, it was kind of a poltergeist situation in there um, with objects so being thrown. Did, and
0: what did you do in this case?
1: Well, again, you figure out what's going on. Uh, we did audio sessions that got the voices of those male spirits that were in the house, um, and then we brought in a medium to get the story. And it turns out that, uh, uh, there was one kind of very powerful ghost, um, human spirit, but very powerful, very angry. And he, uh, um, he was trying to come back to life. So what he was trying to do was to enter the bodies or possess the, uh, uh, people in the family, but a human spirit, that's not going to last very long. You know, he, he could sort of, uh, disturb them and kind of pop into them, but then he'd be back out in just a couple of minutes, um, and so uh, understand and, you know, you, you try and reason with them through the medium who's talking with them. It's just you got to cut it out. You've got to stop this. You can't be doing this to this family. You're not getting your life back. I'm sorry, but, I mean, you know, yeah. you, you died, you know, uh, 80 years ago, so you're not coming back. And uh, um, he just would not take no for an answer, and so he kept attacking them. And the family literally was all sleeping in the living room together and they were about to just leave their house, literally abandon the house when we came in. And uh, so by figuring it out, uh, by taking kind of a gentle approach, and, you know, uh, this guy just wouldn't do it, so uh, I was working with my my colleague Tom on the case, and uh, you're you're able to do certain things with, um, again, it all depends who and what you're dealing with, but you can use certain uh, incenses and uh, essential oils to uh, to kind of, uh, cleanse a place, and pop a spirit like that outside the house. And then you can set up barriers around the yard so that basically he's outside the fence. He's not coming back in unless somebody brings him back in. And uh, then the other two guys showed up, and they were actually, um, uh, I guess all these guys had worked in an uh, oil rig back in the 20s, um, and it was uh, uh, it was an area where there had been heavy oil industry, you know, early part of the 20th century. And uh, um, uh, that this guy was like a foreman who had died on the job, but then he blamed these other two guys for his death. So uh, um, uh, he was kind of holding those other two guys. So as soon as uh, this ghost got kicked out and isolated from the house, the other two guys wanted to cross over right away. And so the medium was experienced in doing that, was able to to do that. We we literally got their names, and they were gone. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, and then after that, everything quieted down. The, the little girl spirit was still in the house, and so uh, they were fine with that. The, um, the, the little boy, actually, he was very kind of very quiet for a little boy of eight years old. And when we were interviewing them, um, the, the mom said that her son had seen this male figure, and he had scared him. And the mom had seen it, too. But the mom couldn't really describe how he was dressed. So we started asking the 8-year-old son about what he looked like. And he's describing it, like, right out of a photograph. He knew what kind of buttons he had on, what kind of shoes. He was wearing jeans, you know. him, and he described this guy like he was, you know, describing something to a police artist. That's how clearly this kid saw that ghost. And then um, my friend Tom, who had had the same experiences as a kid, He said, you see them more often than that, right? And then the kid just opened up about he's sitting in class uh, uh, and uh, a ghost will come up to the window and look at him through the window and it scares him. He sees ghosts everywhere. He's like the kid from the Sixth Sense movie. And so we were able to talk to the kid and try and – because he was just locked up in fear. Imagine you're seeing dead people when you're eight years old, right? Yeah. Um, And – We asked him, well, have the ghosts ever done anything to attack you or to scare you? And he said, no, they just stand there. And it's obvious. They know he can see them, right? So um, (laughs) I actually told told the child, I said, you know what? Next time you see a ghost like that, you know what you do? And he goes, what? And I said, ask them this. Tell me something funny. And then he thought about it for a second. He kind of imagined himself doing that, and then he started laughing and laughing oh good, and you just, you let it all out. You no, know, I mean, you have to have a sense of humor. You have to have a perspective because yeah. you're, you're locked up in fear, no matter what you're doing. If you're locked up in fear and worry and anxiety, that blocks everything. And that's, that creates such negative energy. And so for him to be able to release like that and to see another side that, you know, my fear is kind of unreasonable. You know, maybe a ghost will tell me a joke. Um, that, that really helped them. And then, um, we kept touch with them for about a year or two later and, you know, got the family more help uh, for, you know, they have a sensitive child, so you want to make sure he's okay. Um, but they did just fine after that. So uh, that's that's one of the cases we worked on. I, again, uh, that's the value of working with a medium. I can get voices. Uh, I'm very good at EVPs and getting, you know, audio and getting snatches of things um, that may be said. Um, and it's none of the people sitting in the room who says it, it's some other voice, some other source, but trying to make sense of what that intention is, who that is, you know, that's the other side where having a medium, somebody who has a more complete picture of uh, who may be around is, is very useful. And then I can, mm-hmm. I can try that back. I do historical research so that I can look up the history of the house. I can run, you know, newspaper archives to see what happened in the house. And like, for instance, I can get a name. If I get a name, then I can see if that lines up with somebody who lived in the house 100 years ago. So, uh, not often, but sometimes you you can you can add that up to where um, you can pin down who it is that way. And so uh, I like to I like to validate what the medium does. And I never tell the mediums any of the background of the case before we go in. We just show up, and then they immediately you know start giving their impressions.
0: Well, what you talked about a little bit was like this, the attachment issue of that little girl coming home uh, with um, with the, the mother, the mother, uh, you know, having some kind of vibe the little girl wanted. But how about um, people that do investigations? And there's some there's uh, something really horrible happened. I'm probably pretty sure you're aware of what happened a uh, uh, murder suicide of a paranormal couple. And some people were saying that they felt that he had an attachment, that something happened that he wasn't aware of, and it spun out of control, and uh, that was part of the problem. What's your opinion on that?
1: Well, I was friends with Mark and Debbie. Actually, very early when I started doing investigating, really? I, did, I learned EVP sessions with them, and uh, I talked to them uh, uh, on and off through the years. So, um I'm not going to say anything publicly other than it's a terrible tragedy. Obviously, they had problems, and uh, the problems were expressed violently, and uh, that he basically snapped uh, about 10 days ago now and uh, decided that he was going to get a gun. He got a gun. He hunted her down. He killed a roommate in the place she was staying. He kidnapped her, took her to his daughter's apartment, and killed her and then killed himself. So that's an awful 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 It's
0: horrible. Yeah.
1: Uh so that's all I'm going to say about that specific situation. Yeah. Um but uh, uh very often um we have done cases where uh we have we have people who have dabbled in the paranormal either on teams or by themselves. They've watched a TV show and decided they were going to do it at home where um uh, they've invited something in, or they have an attachment that follows home uh some of these are quite serious, not friendly things um so we have had uh, we've had a, a number of cases where uh things that followed investigators home and it's uh you know um anything you do um can has the potential for something negative to happen, and so if you're reckless or careless um, you may have something followed, and then you know' because So when I I interview somebody, I want to find out when things first started. So if I'm talking to an investigator and they say, oh, well, I was at Queen Mary and I was was yelling and provoking. I got great evidence. But then, like, the next day, this strange stuff starts happening at home.
0: So Mm -hmm.
1: uh, the most sensible thing is that before you leave, before you get in the car, you basically do whatever – spiritual thing you do, I mean, you know, some people have their crystals, some people have their stage, some people have their, you know, uh, their prayers, their Bible, you know, whatever works for you. Um, but you basically say, you know, you're not permitted to follow me. Don't follow me uh, in the car, don't follow me home, stay where you are, I can come back to see you, but no, you're not allowed to follow me. If you do that before you go home, that usually helps. Uh, I had a friend who was, uh, who had gotten into investigation very seriously and I get a call from her, and uh, she starts telling me about um, that because uh, she liked going to a certain cemetery where there was a very heavy negative sort of presence, and it was their goldmine because the uh, the team she was with, they got just incredible evidence from the place. Uh, but uh, she had something with her, and she said that the, the day before, she had, was in a car with some friends, they just had lunch, and that... Uh, this, uh, this spirit and she had a recorder running in the car she was doing a session in the car same recorder she used in the cemetery and so she felt this heavy weight on her chest and she, suddenly she couldn't move the steering wheel and the accelerator was being pressed down and when, then she played back her audio and got the name of the spirit who was doing it and I'm like she's like well he just followed me and I'm like are you crazy Wow! To do that in your car and to have, you know, no, no. I'm sorry. You can stay back by the headstones, and I'll see you once or twice, and I'll see you every two weeks. But no, you're Mm -hmm. not following me. You're not following me at home where I have young children. No. Right. It's uh. She didn't quite realize that. It's just like no. You have to set boundaries. You know, your home is kind of your sacred space, and so no don't want stuff hanging around where you sleep. I had enough of that as a child, you know? So uh, I I keep my place as clear and clean as possible, you know? I'd like to have a good night's sleep if I can get it. So, you know, that happens. And uh, um, again, people don't realize it can happen. So I I usually hear about it when people have have something that's happened that uh, kind of shocks them and gets them alarmed and, you know, Um, and and then end up trying to figure out how to deal with it and help. So, uh, um, yeah, people do get attachments. Some of the attachments can be nice. They can be funny. They can be um, like having a friend around. Uh, uh, Or it can be something that's, uh, you know, that's uh, angry, and it can be something that's really negative. And the, the real negative ones will isolate people. They will... Um, wear somebody down. They'll amplify all the negative emotions. So anger, fear, conflict, resentment, sadness. You know, a ghost isn't going to do in the movies. They don't try to kill people. I don't think they're that yeah, powerful. Yeah, I
0: was wondering. If do they? Can they harm a person physically? Like you see people with scratches and, and yeah, hurt somebody I've,
1: scratches. Um, I got a bite mark on my arm one time. Um, I've been bumped and pushed, so they'll do that. But, you know, uh, if, if there's something really negative, um, uh, you know, if somebody is depressed, they'll amplify that. So they might get somebody, you know, I mean, the really bad ones might get somebody basically to want to kill themselves or to hurt somebody else. So yeah. it's, 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 they can, they, they, there's kind of an expertise where they can really, when they're feeding off somebody, they they it's that negative energy and the and all that 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 kind of feeds them. So you know, uh, I mean, if they could, if they could kill people, then why take years, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, working yeah. on somebody? Yeah. So. Uh, I think
0: they uh, want to be around life. You know, to me, they want to be around life or where they're used to being. They're not ready to give up that. Life, even if it's a routine, they did every day. Maybe walk in the door, go do the dishes, go – they're just trying to keep it up for whatever their personal reason is.
1: Well, there's some of that. Actually, one of the best pieces of audio I ever got, which was stunning, uh, you know, you're doing a session. You're saying, is anybody here? You know, what is your name? You know, the usual kind of questions you ask. And then played it back, and there's this sound of the woman, in it It in a it sounded like she was in a room that echoed, even though the room we were in had no echo in it at all. And okay. she's going, "Who's there? Who said that?" Which made me realize, whatever space she is in, whatever reality she's in, we were the ghost to her. Wow. So, so
0: think about that. well, how do you? I I don't know. That's kind of mind bending. Uh, what well, how do you communicate with a ghost w well, would you just uh talk or uh should you communicate at all and and why should you communicate
1: well uh, again, um, I never do it where I live, and so um and a lot of people make that mistake because once they do that, then all hell can break loose so um we've had a lot of cases where people have seen the TV shows and then decided they're going to record with their phone or they start taking lots of photographs, you know, because they want to catch whatever's around. And then, you know, the activity just blows the roof off of the place. Um, so I never do that where I live, but I go elsewhere. Um, and uh, again, I, I think uh, as a matter of respect, you don't treat them like they're four year olds. Um, you assume they aren't. So, when you communicate, you, you talk to them like it's a person you can't see. So you talk to them like a person. And, uh, you know, you, you want to get something going so that they're interacting with you, so that they're responding. You know, and sometimes if you're going just, you know, the the, the audio stuff going back and forth. Because you know, what I do, I use a technique, again, that I learned from Mark and Debbie, um, which was to record for five minutes and play it back. And that way you understand if something's around and then that can inform where you go next with uh, when you turn the recorder back on uh but sometimes you ask them to knock and you will hear knocks um some people have their little uh, um emf meters you, you know the uh the ones with the flashing lights uh that detect fluctuations in the emf fields and so they think that is a good way to get responses you see that on the television shows um the trouble with those <laughs> is that um, if you understand the science behind them, uh, most of those EMF meters uh, read AC currents and also pick up on cell phones. So it could be
0: you okay. know, the lights of
1: the light is somebody's cell phone that's uh, just, you know, sending a ping out and getting the packets of uh, data back and forth. So, you know, you have to make sure everybody shuts their cell phones off. Small things like that. otherwise you're having a conversation with a non-existent nothing
0: <laughs> well, sure. There's so many electronic weirdness can happen. I always in one of my phones in uh, Hermosa. I always heard all their phone calls. So they'd be ordering pizza, talking, whatever it was, and uh, it was all the time. And I asked them to fix it, but you could mistake that for uh something weird. But of course, I don't think ghosts order pizza, but. Well, it's uh but you have to I was going to ask you about the anomalies of people say if it's uh their house is near water, near high power lines and things like that 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 affects what's going on in the house. I do believe that too.
1: Well, uh I lo- when I do research, I not only research sort of the history of the house and the people living in the house, but I also look at the surrounding area. Uh so the surrounding town um, and also look at the geology often, uh, highly active places like the, um, uh,
0: uh,
1: the ho- famous hotel in Estes park, Colorado, where the shining was written, um, yeah. uh, that, um, that's sitting on granite. So if you're on granite, uh, or around quartz, um, there seems to be more activity. If you're by water, there's be more activity, um, exactly why maybe that allows electrical fields to flow more easily um who knows you know there 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 are many hypotheses i'm not going to say theories because i know what science is and none, nothing in the paranormal is a theory it's a hypothesis so um you basically have ideas of what may be happening but then trying to get um a scientific proof of it is the hard part so I think uh, I don't tend to see the paranormal as scientific, which a lot of people do, because um, I know science. I use it in my work um, right. on on historic and ancient objects and art. So um, it, it's uh, it's more related to crime scene investigation, forensic stuff uh, or journalism. That's that's mm-hmm. how I like to see it. Um but yeah, uh, certain certain locations, and there's a pattern to locations where there's activity, where there's water, or a certain type of rock or mineral that's around uh, that 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 the house or building is on that uh, seems to, you know, have have it being a very active place.
0: What about you? Do you believe in haunted objects? Sure. Yes. Yes. Do you come across anything like that, or?
1: I actually bought a couple and had to uh, okay. take care of them. <laughs> Have had them oh, really? Too. Um,
0: what, did, uh, what did you do? Again,
1: one of the questions I always ask, once we get through what happened, then you want to, okay, when did the activity first start? Somebody says, well, it started last year. Uh, when last year? Uh, middle of September. Okay, what else was going on in the middle of September? What was new? What was happening? So sometimes their answer is, um, Well, no, there's nothing. Everybody was doing fine, you know. There was no conflict. There were no big changes, you know, all of this. And it's like, did did you do any renovations to the house? Because sometimes, often, when people take older houses and renovate them, the activity kicks up. And often it's the it's one of the owners who used to own the house upset that you're tearing down walls and you're doing this. You're You run into that, but, but sometimes, you know, if they haven't been renovating the house and I say, well, did you, did you buy anything from a thrift store, antique store or off eBay? They go, Oh yeah, I bought that old such and such. And like, yeah, things started happening like uh, three days after that, you know, Oh, okay. Um, and so usually once you can understand that, you know, that there may be objects that potentially are, have attachments, then, um, what you do is you get them to isolate the object. So take the object out of the house where people are sleeping and living. Take it to a garage or a shed to get it out of the house. And then um, you can, if it's small enough, you put it in a tray of salt. Um, if, uh, If it's too big for that, you just basically just get it out of the house. And then you see if the activity changes in the next couple of weeks. Often it does. And if the activity goes down to zero, then that's a... That's a pretty good test that the object likely is the source of it, um, and so there are ways of kind of neutralizing that object. Um, it, it depends uh, uh, if someone. We often run into cases that are related to using Ouija boards, and uh, we have
0: yeah, that's my next question.
1: Back. Now, sometimes somebody used something when they were a teenager. Something came through, and they no longer have the board. Uh, but we've had cases where people have boards and they think the board is a source of the problem. And so in those cases, you know, you do not throw the board away. You do not destroy it. You do not, especially don't burn it. Because if there's something negative attached to the board, burning it is just going to release it. So um, when you have a Ouija board like that, again, you want to basically put it into a container with salt. And then, you know, the, the wisest thing to do with it is to either bury it in the earth or to um uh put it in a bag with weights and put it underwater. And uh that takes care of uh, whatever's attached to it it will slowly sort of reincorporate back into nature and uh it's nowhere where uh somebody can run into the board and and play with it and have whatever's attached to it to um you know to to cause trouble again. So uh that's uh, and I learned that from uh uh Um, John Daffas that's what he recommends doing with Ouija boards Um, so uh, again people that's uh, a Ouija board is like a phone call it's it's like an open invitation you know it's like saying on Facebook uh, um, uh, hello anybody out there want to be friends well you don't know who's out there you don't know who's listening you know and the the same goes with paranormal investigators who use those shack hacks a shack hack is a device that um, uh, has a has a scanner, so it scans radio frequency. So it's like somebody is switching channels in your car radio real fast, and you hear just one station after another. And sometimes these extra words or voices seem to come through, and people use that as a way of communicating. Um, uh, Sometimes with those, you'll get the same thing. Because, again, if your intent is, anybody out there like me want to talk to me? Well, you don't know who they are. You don't know if they're friendly. You don't know if they're mean. You don't know you know, who it is. So you're kind of inviting them to attach to you that way. And that happens. So, uh, 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 yeah, you gotta be careful about inviting things to talk to you. I, again, it comes with, um, I, I did a lot of research into kind of, um, mythology, history of religions and spiritual traditions, um, in my younger years before I ever got into all this stuff. And so, um, if you read things that have been written over the past couple of thousand years about all this stuff, I mean, people have been, I mean, awareness of, of this realm of the paranormal, the unexplained of ghosts and spirits and all that mankind has written about that, that has happened even before you're recording things on the walls of the pyramids. Right. So um, there are, tr- tr- there are written traditions from cultures all around the world about uh, what to do, what these things are and what to do. And so by educating yourself that way, then you get an understanding of um, what may work, of how to handle okay. these things.
0: Right. Can, okay, can I ask you a question? Uh, uh, it's kind of a, a weird one, but do you feel that uh, a ghost uh, can influence your dreams or speak to you in dreams?
1: Sure. I think the dream state is the sort of the first method of contact often. Uh, I mean, think about it. It's harder to kind of materialize as a shadow or a full figure um, than it might be to basically uh, make yourself sort of make psychic contact through dreams. So, yeah, I mean, I, I always ask uh, my clients, people who have things going on about their dreams and if they've had strange dreams. Um because that's usually a uh that can be a clue to what's going on, what's around. And you know, no, very I often just, like go ahead. The most the most common ghost experience of all um is when someone dear to you passes, um, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, a child, and uh the most common experience is them showing up a day or two after their death and they're standing by your bed. And usually people either see them in dreams or they wake up and they're standing right by your by your bed. And uh um that that's that, that's the most common experience. Um uh one of the most interesting happened in the nineteenth century with a, a soldier, a British soldier who was in India and he saw his father appear by his bedside and the following week is when he got the the letter that his dad had passed the day before he had that experience because back then there weren't, there weren't phones.
0: Right. Right.
1: So um, that's a very common experience. So uh, like um, I had a, uh, saw a friend had uh, posted, uh, had put this beautiful posting up about a a woman who no, I read it on Hunting Huffington post, actually a woman who had lost um, her mom. And then she saw her mom as a ghost, you know, in the weeks following and then her mom uh came into her dreams and she would have these long conversations with her mom in her dreams. And then mom over the balance of a year slowly kind of evaporated from all of that. Um so yeah, mm. dreams dreams are a very easy way. It, it they're an easy way for uh especially for people who are sensitive, who are empathic or psychic or mediums, um, to uh Uh, it can wear you down because um, they can access your dreams. You won't get very good sleep and they can can kind of tap your energy while you're sleeping too. You won't feel rested. So um, often people with negative energies aren't getting very good sleep. Things happen when you're falling asleep. So uh, um, there, there are things you can do. Like if you're, um, if you are a sensitive of using uh, a mineral like hematite and having that under your pillow, um, uh, or other sort of grounding uh, uh, minerals or gems uh, in order to uh, ground you out so that you can sleep at night. And it's 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 harder for these things. You know, uh, if if you are sensitive, you're psychic. You're like a bright light. Um, so we want to put a shade over that light so it's not quite so bright. So uh, those things can help you can ground somebody down. And uh, once they understand that too, it it, it kind of helps them to. Uh, understand that they have to develop their own system of protection and blocking. Um, I have friends who who are empathic who never knew it who would walk into a crowd and they would feel incredibly drained. Or um, one friend I had would start crying for no reason at all and she'd be crying going, I don't know why I'm crying. That's like, well, you're an empath. It's not you yeah. you're picking up feelings from somebody else. So let's ground you out. you know. And sometimes somebody putting a, a hand on your shoulder Um, somebody uh, walking you away from what's happening and uh, physical contact can help ground somebody out too. And so, uh, and then once they understand that they're empathic, then they can develop their own ways of protecting themselves, not taking the energy of outside things into themselves, you know, uh, because I've been on investigations where somebody didn't know they were an empath and suddenly they're getting splitting headaches and migraines and it's like, um, and I talk to the medium and it's the dead guy in the corner who had an accident with his head and the empath is picking up on that. And it's like, okay, well, but when you get an intense feeling like that, you know, you need to say, it's not me.
0: <laughs>
1: that's not me. That's, that's my right. energy.
0: Is, better, is it them or, or exactly that's what I do? Where's this coming from? This isn't me. Because I start it happened so frequently that I, I started realizing oh, my God, this isn't me, it's them. You know what I mean? So it's uh, helpful just to know where it's coming from. You have to be a good judge of things. You have to be pretty strong, stable. Even if you're sensitive, you still have to be stable.
1: Well, that's a challenge. And in a lot of the cases I've done, um, somebody, usually the wife, actually the people who notice the paranormal stuff are usually the wife and the kids first. The dad is kind of the last person to notice it. And then when he notices it, it's serious. (laughs) Call somebody. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's right. Because they block it a lot, the, the pops. Yeah. But usually the wife or the kids are, one of them is empathic, or maybe all of them are. They're either empathic or sensitive. And so in my questioning of people in the situation, I talk to everybody in the family who's experiencing things. And, you know, I also ask them, you know, do you ever going to pick up on the feelings of others without them telling you. And so I've got a series of questions that basically defines whether they're empathic or sensitive. And, uh, uh, and then that gives a good understanding of what's going on. Well, yeah, the ghost is kicking things up because you can notice them. You do notice them. And that's why you're getting bothered by the shadow. That's why you're, you know, and so they um, notice you notice. And then once you give them some techniques and some things to use, which will calm things down, and and once they understand it's not them, it's this other thing, um, then things start quieting down.
0: Okay, to to do third thing. This is personal uh, personal stuff. This one is because um, what does it mean when people come, the people's ghosts come to you before they die? I have people that come to me before they die, and they make certain requests, and they'll tell me stuff.
1: So they may be sick, but they haven't died yet, and then you see yeah. you see them in a dream, or is it when you're when you're awake? Well, it's
0: before they even get sick. I see them, and the, they'll come to me in a dream, and uh, then they'll tell me something, and then I have to tell the person that this is what they tell me, and that's before they're dead. It's like a pre-ghost. Now, what
1: do they is, look exactly like they look in... Are these people you know or people you don't know?
0: People I know.
1: Okay. And in your dream, do they look exactly like they are in life, or is there something weird about how they appear?
0: They look sometimes younger. Sometimes uh, they'll be dressed for a certain part that they're, uh, let's say, one came to me, and I'm not going to say anybody who it was, but. He came to me and uh, he was in a military uniform, and he was younger. He was only in his when, in actuality, he was in his 70s. He was only in let's say 50 in the dream, and he was posing in front of in a grave site in front of a grave, but he was posing like for a picture, like a military stance. He had his knee. He was on one knee. You know, I've known we've seen these pictures a million times. And he was posing, but when he did that, he was telling me a lot.
1: But it's like he was from World War Two, and uh, symbolically. But he, was by... II.
0: he was in World War Two. He was in World War Two.
1: That's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's like yeah, he, he was appearing like he was in World War Two, and he's by he's in a graveyard.
0: Yes, and the, there was a. I was trying to read the gravestone, so I read part of it, but it was like somebody's going to pass away just before he did. And so the message I got, I, he was posing for a picture, and he looked pretty happy, but there was somebody reason the pass away before he did, and I couldn't read the whole name because I didn't actually, in real life, I did not know the person's maiden name. What happened is his daughter-in-law passed a week before he did from the same thing. She had a brain aneurysm, young school teacher, and then the uh, he died of a brain aneurysm a week later. And when we were at the grave site, it turned out to be just exactly like in my dream. I did not know the grave site for the the military in Riverside is huge. It goes for miles and miles and miles. That's the way it was in the dream. And then he was posing for the picture because my best friend almost fainted, so I took the camera and started taking the pictures because they wanted it for his brothers, the 21-gun salute and all that. And I realized that's why he was posing because I was going to be the one taking the picture. See?
1: Ah. Uh-huh. Well, that's yeah. That is a gift, but not the kind of gift you want to wish on anybody. Because
0: uh, no, <laughs> it's a uh, it's. Uh, I've had them call and tell me, you know, one with another friend. The spirit of her mother said, "Go look at me," and I was like, "What?" Because she's in the casket, right? But nobody saw her yet. Yeah. After the body was secured, she just go take a look. So I had to go look because she told me. I asked permission. I went and looked, and her family wouldn't want to see her like that. She looked nothing like herself in life, and she was a beautiful woman. So I told and begged my friend, I said, please have a closed cask. She wants it like that. So they did it. But I had to sign the things that I – because you have to look. You have to look at the person and identify the body as before they shut the thing You know what I mean So I did recognize her But basically her hands Because uh, they really messed her up But anyway So this way the family didn't get to be inflicted with that And that's the way she wanted it And she did come to me after too later I mean all kinds of very Unusual well, stuff like that It comes
1: uh, to, um,
0: they come to me before It to me before and after And it's either,
1: whatever it's, it's either that their travel, you know, astral travel. So that's when, um, you know, basically your soul person departs, and uh, um, it can even happen when you're waking. So it's not like you're in unconscious or in a trance or when you're sleep, sleeping, but it can also happen when you're waking. And so you're part of your soul or spirit, uh, according to, you know, uh, the Uh, idea of astral travel is that it can take off and it can have all these sort of adventures and realms and it can um, cross kind of time periods and stuff. And so it could be their astral astral spirit is the one contacting you to let you know that this is coming up. It could also be their spirit guides, uh, basically in the guise, you know, in the sort of the appearance of them coming to you and saying this is going to happen, you know, and uh, Mm. expressing what, what they need. So it could be that. Yeah. Uh, Well, it works because
0: it seems to keep me on my toes so that I'm prepared. I'm not in shock and grief when it comes down. You know what I mean? Because I had to tell my friend, I said, I I have to tell you something. Because I knew just by what the post that he's going to be passing within 30 days. And so I told her, I said, do you want me to tell you something if I know something? Do you want me to tell you? She said, yes. I said, well, your dad's going to be gone in 30 days. She says, what are you saying? He's a lot younger than my mom. I said, I know, but he's going to be gone and somebody's going to go right before him. So I had to just tell her the truth, you know, and it turned out just like that. But that's not the only only time it's happened. But I'm just wondering what the rules are on this, David. I don't know. You know, how does it work?
1: Well, this is kind of the first time i've heard this one where somebody basically i know it's I mean, very I've, odd i've met i've met psychics who sort of get the they get a a short vision of the future and they can see that, how somebody's going to die um but i've never heard of the person coming to somebody like you and giving mm-hmm. communicating with you before you know weeks or even a month before it happens so that's that's kind of unique. I've never heard of that. Sure, one. It is. Um, that's
0: why I wanted to because you have the expertise. But it's not only people have done this with me. Animals have done this with me. They've come to tell yeah. me. You know, I um, I have this. I, I I will be dead. I'm in jeopardy if you don't do this or that. You know what I mean? I and I go tell the per, the person. Well, let me ask
1: you: if, if you if you do what they ask, does it prevent them the thing from happening? Or does the
0: thing happen well, anyway? Well, the, the okay, so the one where I was supposed to be doing these certain things helped that person stay on her feet so she could carry through with a funeral. Because remember, you know, the mother, her brother's wife passed away the week before. And also right. the kids were left without a mother. They, they was two little kids, so those are her niece and nephew. And it gave her the stability to carry through. You know what I mean? And uh, that was helpful when it happened, you know. and But unfortunately, let's say a dog came through, and I didn't know this dog. I only knew it was my daughter's dog, but I didn't really have a relationship with this dog. You know what I mean? You know how you're friends with a dog. and all, It wasn't like that. I was just yeah. aware of the dog. And so he came to me, and I was driving. I remember exactly where I was driving. I was in Hermosa Beach on Prospect. So I was driving down the street. He had a blue tongue. He was a child. And he just showed me his face, and I went, oh, my God. I called my daughter. I said, daughter, please go check on the dogs. I said, your child's in trouble. And she said, Ma, I just was over there. I said, no, honey, please go back. And she didn't go back. And when she did go back, the poor thing had crawled under the house and died of exhaustion and heat because they had dumped over the water bowls accidentally. Now, that grief leaves me with grief. You know, I said, I told you, honey. She says, Mom, why didn't I listen? I don't know how she feels about it, but um, I have a feeling maybe I should have gone over. But I didn't know the dogs. I didn't know if they were going to bite me or not, but I could have put a bucket of water over there. And well, so it will help it me for next time. Go ahead.
1: Let me put it this way. You should never feel guilty about what you do not do.
0: Yes, I feel uh, guilty about that you shouldn't, one. You
1: shouldn't, you shouldn't beat yourself up you you do cuz it's in the past. You know, what was done was done. You told the person and it was their choice not to not to
0: right. Know, right.
1: not to hear. So, you know, uh, never never beat yourself up, feel guilty or or blame yourself for anything that happens in this realm. Uh, that's the worst thing you can do.
0: Well, it does. It's disturbing, but then the a few gifts have happened along these lines like uh This just happened um, that I found out the truth of this whole thing is that I've had a couple of dreams where my grandfather, who died when my dad was 15, so there's no way possible that I've met him, but he'd come to me in my dreams and he was letting me know I I was holding you when you were born. I love you. He told me he's taking care of me all the time, you know, and it was really, really awesome because of how much and how strong this man was and how much he loved me. And uh it kind of carried me through. So then I'm interviewing my Uncle Louie last year, and he, he has passed on since, God rest his soul. But uh, he said he was mourning his father so bad when he died that his father came to him in a dream and told him to stop crying. And I went, oh, my God, that means his father came to both of us. And yeah. that's just like – I and I didn't really hear it the first time he said it. I was only – I did a memorial for my uncle, so my uh, cousins and everybody was on, and we were all uh, did a memorial for him, so I was playing back some of the vi- the audio. Thank God I have that, because then he said that. I went, wait, I didn't put two and two together. This is like a generational thing, so it isn't just me, you know. It's just some odd things going on, so uh, but it's mostly is that time and space doesn't seem to matter when I'm supposed to know something and do something, and I get a message, and I have to try to do it. That's what I'm saying. But it's a very emotional thing. I have a feeling you understand uh-huh.
1: that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it it, it works differently in different people. So
0: It does. Um, and there's strange things going that's, on, that's David. That I don't very- think... Go ahead.
1: I said that's the one thing you have to realize is that – because I've seen it often where somebody is a psychic or a medium, and so they they think that all the other psychics or mediums are screwed up because they're not seeing what they're seeing. But you have to understand it it comes to different people in different ways. And when that message or that uh, visual thing, like I sometimes will – uh, I'm more of an empath, so I I will pick up on what somebody's thinking, um, or or the feelings I'm getting. Um, yeah, but I'm not actually having a conversation. You know, I mean, I I really admire people can have the conversation because I'd like to, but uh, I, I I get more of a sense of the personality, um, and sometimes I'll get little visual flashes of something that happened in the past. I'm shown something, you know, like a short little, you know, ten second thing. Um, But uh, that's how it works for me. But I don't make the assumption that's how everybody else gets it. Um, Because it not only only arrives to you, it's very powerful when it happens. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But the other thing is it's filtering through your belief system. So somebody who's a Catholic is going to process it differently than somebody who might be a Buddhist or somebody who might be um, Muslim or somebody who may not believe. You understand, so yeah. um, the, there's a layer of filter and interpretation from what you believe that goes on top of that experience. So yeah. uh, it does bother me sometimes when you see sort of psychics or mediums kind of um, gassing each other on, you know, well, that's, you know, how could you see that? That's not the way it happens. And it's like I can I can put two mediums in a room and they're they're going to pick up on different things, and that's what I tell. You know clients people who who uh said, "Well, a medium told me this, and I'm like, well, you know uh, the one thing you've got to be aware of for, with anybody who's psychic um that they may be reading you rather than reading <laughs> the situation true. I mean, in other words
0: true yeah so you, have
1: to, you have to you just have to understand that you can have two or three psychics or mediums in a room or on a case, and they're gonna pick up on different things. It's like they're slightly different frequencies. And how they process it is different. So, but yours is a very unique one. I uh, that yeah. would be a hell of a show. Somebody who gets visits from people before they die, and then they have to do something.
0: Yeah, you know, isn't it weird? Well, that's uh, why I'm putting it out there is because uh, for me it's it's startling. But uh, my kids have observed it all their life. That's what they tell me. They go, "Mom, yeah. you know you've always been like this." And I go, "What are you talking about?" And they said, "No." We'll sit there. The closest thing that came to it, the kids would say, is that the show Medium, they feel like that's the life story. That's the way my kids feel. Do you remember that show? Uh Uh-oh. What's that? Do you remember that show Medium? Yeah. Yeah, so my kids would say that's what their life was growing up. When I have... I have, I don't know what to say. I just told you a couple of weird ones, but there's a word of stuff now. But know, anyway,
1: we have a question? Let me put it this Go way. Ahead. What you experience is normal to you. So that's your normal. It yeah. may not be normal to anybody around you. So no, it's because kind
0: of a shock I it, Yeah, I will say something, and then somebody gets shocked by it. I wasn't aware of how that sounded to anybody, only because I know that you had a lot of experience. That's why I put it out there. But I said something one time and it took the person aback and I looked at their face because I had a, a weird thing happen to me one time. Uh I got really ill and I ended up in the hospital and they I went in for one thing but they decided to take my appendix out while I'm in there. You know how they used to do that back in the day? They'll just take an extra yeah, whatever just
1: out. Just <laughs> Get rid of it now. Yeah, why don't yeah. take it out? We're
0: near now, but I'm going to take it out. I didn't give permission to do it. But anyway, so the next morning, the doctor's name is Dr. Bourne. I'll never forget this man because he was really an awesome person. Anyway, he said, uh, I want to talk to you about something. And um, he said, have you changed your life in any way, particularly the last couple years or so? I went, well, yeah. And I told him what it was, you know. And... uh then he said, uh, well, I have to something to tell you is that you had cancer of the appendix. And he said, but uh, your body had covered it up with tissue from your own body in a sort Shielded of a it Yes, it huh. sealed it up from the rest of your body, and all I had to do was take it out. And he kept staring at me. And it's not the only time a doctor has stared at me like that because something happened when I was a kid. <laughs> similar. And I went, what does that mean? He says, well, no chemo for one. He said, but. You realize how strange this is, and I went really no. I don't. I I know that I've been giving my life back right now because I think once your your appendix blows like that, especially if it's cancer, you're really in serious trouble. You know what I mean. So, uh, I actually had no nothing. He just took it out, and that was it. But it ended up with medical books and all that. But I was telling somebody this a couple of weeks ago. You know that I believe in miracles, and this happened. And he looked at me so odd, and I looked at him. I went. Wait a minute, is that weird what I just told you? He said, I can't even believe that happened. He was saying, we don't have a mechanism that seals up cancer, and all that. I went, oh my god, it's weird.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It was a well, gut
0: shot, okay? Should
1: just, you should have just said, hey, you got it. Go ahead and do it. Do your research on it. I'm not using it. Now. Yeah,
0: exactly. Go ahead. And he was a very it. scientific person, and he just was. I didn't
1: realize how odd it was
0: or how long it took for something like that to happen in your body. Like, how long did it take since the body recognized cancer? How long did it take? That's what I'm saying. Then I started thinking how long it must have been going on, and then I just got a little weirded out. I just went, what? This is weirder than I thought. So anyway, we do have a question from the gallery. You want to take a question?
1: Yeah, all I'm going to say is don't visit yourself what? and tell yourself what's going to happen in a couple of weeks. I do not <laughs>
0: I better not I have seen myself in a dream before but that's enough too much drama I'll cry so I'll tell you that some other time. But I have seen myself in a dream before but I was 13 in the dream. And sure, I can't see it. Okay, that's not a call it's a question. Can you ask okay. David if there were Titanic ghosts in the conjunction with his research from the Titanic?
1: It was interesting when when I um encountered the first artifacts from the Titanic they uh... Uh, I was living in Eastern Virginia at the time, working in a museum, and I got a phone call from a friend who was a uh, corrosion scientist at a nearby university. And she goes, hey, Dave, do you want to come see the first artifacts from the Titanic? And I go, what? And she explained that what had happened is is that, um, you know, it was discovered by Dr. Robert Ballard in 1985 from Woods Hole, National Geographic, right? Um, But uh, about... Five years later, six years later, a former BMW dealership owner decided he was going to salvage the Titanic. So he formed a for-profit company with investors, and they went out to the side of the Titanic. And so they they rented a Russian – no, they they partnered with uh, Iframir from France. They had a miniature sub that could dive that deep. And so they they paid a handsome fee to them. And what they did is they dove down and they collected artifacts. Um, because when you claim a shipwreck for salvage, you have to have proof of this shipwreck in this place, and then you have to go to court. And so it, you go to an admiralty court, which is the Court of the Seas. So they brought it to this city in Norfolk, Virginia, in eastern Virginia, because the admiralty court for the East Coast sat there. And that court had recently made a decision back then to uh, grant salvage for a wreck in international waters, which is what they were doing with the Titanic. So they literally they came in on the ship, offloaded all the uh, Titanic stuff, threw them in some half-full pools of water, and then they walked away. Uh, It was in a warehouse. It couldn't clear customs until the court case was decided. So my friend had called me because they had things corroding. So I went there basically to to consult on it. So I'm seeing amazing things. I mean, things like intact champagne bottles with the corks still in, but they weren't sitting in water. They had let the glass dry out and it was starting to crizzle. You <laughs> know,
0: yeah. something that's
1: only been two miles down for 80 years and uh, um, exposed to water with internal pressure and external pressure. And then you bring it up two miles up and let it dry out. Not the smartest thing. Um, they actually touched one of the frames of the deck chairs because they had these uh, cast, Uh, iron frames and then the rest of the seating was wood, which had basically been consumed. So, you know, I was able to touch one of those, but it was sitting half in and half out of water, so it was corroding right at the water line where the air was meeting the water. Uh, And so I'm going through and nothing, you know, they had letters and diaries and clothes and shoes and just amazing stuff. All that stuff was going black with mold because it was sitting in a hot warehouse with no air conditioning and no temperature control and
0: sitting in water that
1: had been left there for two weeks. So it's getting, you know. So, you know, common sense advice is change the water every week, have somebody look on it, you know, and uh, monitor it and make sure that everything's completely underwater instead of half in and half out. And no, I'm, I'm telling $500 an hour lawyers this, right? And then we end up at this huge sort of hand-built tank which contained uh, one of the davit arms. And a davit on a ship, there's two of them, and the lifeboat is attached to it, and it's what you lower. You know that the, the uh, pulleys are at the top, and it's how you lower the lifeboat down to the water. So I had one of the davit arms; it weighed two ton. It was made out of steel, it had partial paint on it, and it was sitting half in and half out of water. And so uh, I reached over and touched it, and suddenly I'm not in the room anymore. I'm somewhere else. I'm like seeing shadows. Uh, looking at me with light behind them and I'm getting this message hit my brain. Those are the men. Those are the ones we left behind and then I'm out of it. I'm back in the room and this has happened when I'm standing around with them. It happened in a split second and I'm like, it's the only time I've ever gotten an impression off an object with the thousands of things I've touched and have worked on over the years. It's the only time that's happened. That's a very powerful experience. You know, it it really still gives me chills when I remember. Yes. So, that was my experience with the Titanic. Wow.
0: I'm sure those that uh, that impression is, is there, and I think that uh, it's still going on because we we're still very much interested in it. You know, the interest hasn't gone away, so I feel like that part of that, do you believe that keeps things alive too?
1: What's that now? You know, so things think, if you alive? stay
0: interested in it. If things, if you stay interested in it, uh, the story goes on and the ghosts go on also. Let's say if you forget about you, a ghost, never acknowledge it, does it does it fade away?
1: It can or possibly can't. It depends. But uh, let me tell you about thought forms. Um, uh, thought forms are well documented in uh, ancient Tibetan Buddhist literature. And what a thought form is, it's a tulpa, T-U-L-P-A. And uh, it's basically a projection from a person. And so um, there was a – so people can create their own ghosts. People can create um, sort of through their intention, they can project enough energy out to have something manifest that is seen as paranormal. Um, There was a very famous uh, experiment done in Canada in the early – like 1969, 1970, where they sat around and they decided they were going to invent a fake ghost. And uh, the book is called Conjuring Philip. And so they sat around. They made up a story of who Philip was, how old he was, what his life was like, and all this stuff. And then they started doing, um, uh, was it recordings or Ouija board? They've been Ouija board. But they did sessions where they're trying to contact Philip, and they got answers. So they had created... Um, Philip. Now, people who are into the occult, who are into conjuring and magic, not all not all of that is necessarily evil, okay? But people who study hmm. the occult, um, there's a long tradition. Most of the written stuff comes from like the early Middle Ages on down to us. Um, Aleister Crowley was into the occult, so a lot of his books are popular. He was uh, yeah. an occultist in the tw- in the early 20th century. Um, but basically people who are into the occult do thought forms they they basically can create um a spirit or a ghost or a thought form uh, a manifestation that will and they'll give it a job to do a task okay um a friend of mine about 5 years ago did an experiment at a famously haunted hotel in southern california and he decided they were going to do a thought form experiment so what they did is they made up a a woman, a young woman they made up a backstory for the woman and then in the subsequent time after that anybody doing paranormal investigations was getting her voice and getting her photo that was seen in a mirror Um, and in the photo she was wearing the exact same clothes that people in that little circle had described Um, the thing that they did though was that they made her the victim of a violent crime, that she had been raped and then murdered. So anybody who got recordings got this poor thought form in agony that it was being pursued. She was being pursued and killed, and they didn't know how to end it.
0: So mm, they created
1: this. Consci- they created a consciousness that was kind of suffering because of the experiment. But they had validation from the evidence that people were uh, independent. People were bringing in. It wasn't just them. So. uh, Poltergeist phenomena, you know the noisy spirit—that's what it means in German. Um, It's uh, uh, you know often people—it's objects being thrown. It's it's sort of this menacing thing. But in a lot of cases, and uh, Hans Holzer, who was one of the uh, uh, great uh, sort of investigators of the paranormal in the 1950s through the into the 1990s, he published a zillion books. You know, amazing guy. Um, he basically was the first one to sort of say, well, this poltergeist phenomenon, it's more related to teenagers. And so I've done a couple of cases where there's poltergeist phenomenon and there's a teenager in the house. And um, basically uh, the hypothesis is that the teenager, especially with the hormones going and having a lot of angst or anger or unexpressed feelings, um, can they project it out and they form this sort of presence in the house that's doing all this stuff they wish they could do. So when you have one of those situations, you basically tell the parents, well, pay attention to your teenager, you know, talk to them. Um, Have them talk to somebody, you know, serious stuff is going on. And that usually calms it all. Once a teenager gets calm, then the poltergeist stuff goes away. So um, we, I've, I've always thought, and, and I've heard people sort of speculate that, yes, uh, especially in places that have famous ghosts, that people project that. They expect that ghost to be there, so their energy is actually creating that presence where it may not be a real presence at all. So, uh, you know, that's one of the things you wonder about, whether you're dealing with sort of a thought form. It's it's like, if, have you ever been into a house where people have been fighting and been in conflict a lot? Oh, yeah.
0: And yes.
1: you get this very heavy sort of negative energy and feeling. And so that's their thought form being projected into the thing around him right so just think about the thought forms and think about somebody who has severe mental illness who is seeing things you know um a friend of mine uh did an investigation for a guy who was a vietnam war veteran who did have uh mental illness and uh so they're in there doing their evp and guess what all the voices they got on their recorder was that guy's voice wow Right. And he wasn't even in the room when they were doing the recording, so he had proje- he was literally projecting his own He's voice. He's
0: projecting it. Yeah. I believe that you can deal with it. I, I think the mind is powerful. What about the golem? The the uh, uh, the Jewish uh, thing that would send out a golem to do their bidding? Now, what is that about? Is that like oh, that, a, that's, a thought form?
1: That's a, yeah, that's a thought form. That's an a, that's a, a, a ritual occult uh kind of uh, practice um a kabbalistic practice of creating a uh, a thing in order to do a task um or to take care of a situation. That's uh so so that is uh, I, again um you find uh the further back you go where things were written down, especially in the Middle Ages, you find there's a rich kind of a occult heritage and uh, there's a lot of it in Kabbalistic uh islamic literature and uh, and sort of the other traditions there's probably a side of it to uh, to the catholic side that wasn't written about too much um i mean astrology mm-hmm. is one of those branches right
0: you yes. astrologers
1: yeah that's
0: uh, right so yeah
1: uh uh it's it's well known i mean all the traditions have a form of people who Decide they're going to use their intention and will in order to create things or to make things happen, and that's what that's what an occult practice is. And sometimes it's for the good. Sometimes, you know, I mean that's what healers do. They use their intention, and their mm-hmm. um, their will, and their power in order to um, cure somebody or or to help somebody. Um, there are other people who do things for their own benefit that way, and there are other people who uh, who use it for bad things. So it's not it's all not all necessarily bad. I mean, there's the pagan tradition of uh, of witches um and whatnot that goes way back and um they practiced folk medicine, did midwifery and you know some of them did practice did occult rituals in order to uh make things happen.
0: Well, I've heard uh, so much talk about shadow people. Um what are they and how do you get rid of them? And what are they?
1: Well, when I was a kid, I saw shadows, shadow people all the time. Um, uh, basically, sh- uh, there are patterns to shadow people. There are distinct types. Um, uh, seeing a shadow uh, sometimes is just a human spirit who's trying to manifest, who's trying to be seen. Or the environmental conditions are right where they can begin to manifest. And so if you think about a shadow, it's it's dark, it's black, it's the it's the, it's the absence of light. So it, it, it may be just something that's drawing energy from the surroundings and it's forming this black mass. Sometimes they appear as blobs or as mists or clouds. Sometimes the a quite distinct human figure, sometimes so distinct that people can tell what they're wearing and whether it's a man or a woman and how tall they are. Um, there's a famous hat man figure that uh, is seen a lot. And that's one of the iconic ones. It's a tall, usually thin man wearing a a fedora. Uh, Oh, my God.
0: You know, who? when I was a kid, this is who we saw, a guy in a hat and a cape. We used to call him uh, Dastardly John, Mr. G.J.
1: And the Hat Man figure seemed to not be human. Hat uh, Man. Again, there are hypotheses on it. Usually they show up and watch children who are sensitive. Or people who yeah. are sensitive um, and so uh again, I think there's theories about the hatman figure my 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 buddy Tom is a real expert on it. I mean he kind of is, he hasn't written the book, but he should write the book about it uh but but the hatman figure um he usually doesn't do anything negative, he just stares um and uh um uh, it's almost like a men in black kind of thing. you know what I mean? He's like mm-hmm. a watcher, right um and uh and again that's that's a very distinct iconic one um that that uh seems to show up a lot even with people who've never heard of them before so uh people independently describe this figure uh so when i when you know i'm talking to a client who's experiencing things and they tell me they see a shadow i say stop what did it look like was it a blob was it a mist Did it look like a person? Did it look like something else? Did it look like a person? You know, so I go through the whole chain of getting them to be very specific about what they're seeing. And then seeing if the shadow has been consistently reappearing like that or whether it's a one-time thing, um, you know, so, uh, so yeah, shadow people are very interesting. Uh, they're not, you know, like everything, they're not evil. They're not demons. Um, they uh they're a manifestation you don't know what their intention is or what they are um usually at first. So just because it's a black shadow that creeps you out it doesn't mean that it's uh it's you know, it could be the guy that used to live in the house who just uh, because when something paranormal is manifesting, you know, I've been in situations where one person sees a shadow and the guy next to you doesn't. Yeah. So it's a matter matter of your perception. So we might be standing together. And you see a shadow, and I don't see anything, or vice versa. So um, it could also—I mean—you have to understand the personal, person perceiving it. Um, uh, you're getting this energy, and you're you're putting it into a recognizable form. That's what the mind does. There's a there's a phenomenon called uh, uh, paradelia, which is uh, something that happened evolved in human beings over millions of years which is um, our brain processes images by looking for recognizable patterns. So let's say, you know, uh, you're in the jungle and you see something in the shadows uh, of, the, of the bush um, that looks like a face. You immediately see tiger. It may or may not be a tiger, but that's how your brain is wired. So uh, I get it all the time when people show me photographs and they say, don't you see it? There's a face there. That's a fair deal. Yeah. It's like seeing the the face on Mars, you know, or
0: yeah. some other. Um, Talking about Mars, okay, I want to ask you a way out there question. Do you believe oh, that boy. there's, let's say, if other planets have been inhabited and they're gone, do you believe there's ghosts left behind on other planets? Now, I know this is far fetched, but could it be? Like haunted Mars? <laughs> You know,
1: let me put it this way. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It, it depends. What we call ghosts, we think of as people. So if, hmm. if there is a spiritual universe, uh, I mean, people see ghosts of dogs and cats, so yeah, why not, why not ghosts of other things? You know, it doesn't have to be on two legs and smoking a cigarette and, Talking crap, right? I mean, it, it,
0: <laughs> it, it, can, be
1: some, it can be something else. So um, the the other thing I will say, and again, some of my friends have experienced this, is the topic of interdimensionals, um, where... Um, that was what I was getting at. And that's one hypothesis or idea about what UFOs are, is that they're not physically from planets that are 100,000 light years away, that they're basically things from other dimensions that are able to materialize around us. Um, and that there there are also people who have uh, psychic connections to other dimensions. And I've, I've talked to Marla a little bit about this because mm-hmm. uh, I think it was the course she just took at the Moreau Institute um, a couple of months ago. And that was literally, because uh, she's done remote viewing. Remote viewing is, uh, for people who don't know, remote viewing is where You're sitting in a room, and you can project your mind and visualize some remote location, and you can describe it to somebody. It uh, was explored and developed by the CIA and the U.S. military. uh, Project Stargate out of Stanford was the most prominent experiment. But they got a bunch of these psychics who had remote viewing, and they were looking in on trying to project to locations in Russia to get information. This was during the Cold War in the 1960s
0: and Mm 70s.
1: to get information about bases and stuff like that, and then the person doing remote viewing would do a drawing and describe what they saw. And then that was corroborated in many instances. So um, uh, Marla is a natural person who's done remote viewing, and she she got training from one of the people from Project Stargate uh, at the Monroe Institute in remote viewing. And so the course she took uh, recently was to go beyond Earth, <laughs> And it was basically using your ability to remote view and taking that into the stars, into the universe. And so um, that is a way of extending your ability. um, Well, uh, what did she say?
0: Now I didn't ask her uh, about that.
1: She said it was amazing and life-changing. You're going to have to have her on your show to talk about that. I I will.
0: Yeah, because I've had her on, of course. She's my friend, so I've had her on a couple times, and... Anytime she wants, you know, she can come on. So uh I think that we, what you what said was just so amazing of uh of the far reaches of the human mind and how we're spiritual and that our our brain lives beyond our brains. It's, I don't know, that's that's a, a beautiful thought to project it out there like that. We've got to talk to her about that. So you got about five minutes. So uh David, why don't you tell us what uh your projects are what's going on anything you want to tell us
1: um well i i still uh i consult on uh cases paranormal cases for, uh, to help folks from all around the country so you know i i will get um emails and uh then i will um talk to people on the phone i send a 15 page questionnaire to them and then i i you know i, I so i i I don't have a big cluster of cases right now, but, you know, cases sometimes come in all at once. Sometimes you get little dribbles of cases coming in. And uh, I find I can resolve a lot of things. If I need a paranormal team, I'll get a paranormal team local to them. Let's say they're in Virginia or in uh, New York or whatever. I'll get a, a, a contact, I'll get a recommendation for a paranormal team that can go in and get the evidence, I'll do an investigation in the house. So uh, um, that way I can kind of rem- just work from home doing a lot of those cases um and uh uh, for the past several years i've been teaching online courses um developing and teaching online courses mostly for museum professionals um i i have a course that i've been teaching for several years on paranormal investigations and programs in uh, museums and historic sites that's mostly for museum people to explain what the paranormal is how paranormal teams work a lot of you know uh people running museums are concerned because they get the calls from the paranormal teams to come in and they see the TV shows and they're worried that, you know, these people are going to sit on things or bump into things in the dark and all of that. So I kind of explain how the investigations are done, uh, what kind of equipment teams bring. And I have collected policies from museums from all over the U.S., uh, ranging from places that don't want to have investigations at all, the places that welcome it and make a lot of money from the fees from investigations. And now I have also programs that museums do with paranormal teams are doing their own programs in the paranormal. So um, that way they can uh, take that information, they're informed and they can, you know, develop their own policies. Um, so I'm teaching that one starting on Monday. It's a three week online course. Um, and then I have another course that I teach for paranormal investigators and people interested um, called, um, Uh, Paranormal Research and Case Management. And so this is basically a three-week online course um, teaching um, people and giving them resources of how to interact with clients, how to do an investigation, um, how to document everything, um, how to do EVPs, how to collect the evidence, how to analyze the evidence, basically all the ins and outs of doing a proper paranormal investigation. So uh, that course I'm running on October 12th um if anybody is interested in either of those courses um they can contact me at i dig dead people at gmail.com and i'm happy to answer their questions and send them the link to the courses
0: it's a, it's uh well you're doing an excellent job um you, what you're talking about is just so fascinating and uh you've been a wonderful guest tonight you've been very uh very in depth and very uh informative because uh when I was talking to you about how that felt to me and how odd that it, that it felt, that you understood, you know, it takes uh, it takes somebody with an open mind to be able to discuss something like that. But it is kind of odd and different, but you put it in perspective that we we all have a different, sort of like a different role. We each have our part.
1: Exactly. Yeah, we should always you know have I mean? time to listen to each other and understand each other, Right.
0: Yes, that's what I'm saying, to listen and understand and then uh, just go with the gifts you've been given the way you've been given it, you know, and that's kind of hard to do if you feel a pressure from whoever, but who made the rules up on this anyway? I don't think there are any rules.
1: Well, let I'm me, trying let to me find some,
0: way. but I can't find any. Go
1: ahead. Let me put it this way. We're raised by our parents, and then we turn loose as adults, and we spend most of our life, Um, in trying to understand who we are and accept who we are. And it causes a lot of problems. So um, you can save yourself a lot of time. Um, If we have a couple of minutes, I'll tell you one experience I had this last year that explains a lot. Thank
0: you. Um,
1: you. uh, I had a friend on Facebook who described a really interesting – visualizations are really great to do. And this visualization was all about forgiveness. And it's about, well – if, you know, somebody did something that upsets you, take the energy of that, your memory of that, and put it on a silver platter and float that up into the sky. So I decided, hmm. yeah, that sounds cool. I'm going to try that. So one one night, you know, it was last December, I'm laying down in bed, you know, sort of half awake, and I kick into this visualization. And so one thing after another, and the thing is, I'm seeing the events as they happened through my eyes, but I'm I'm sort of reading the mind of the person I'm with and their intention and their energy. And I I see the truth of what happened, what went down. I understand their perspective. I'm in their shoes as well as mine. And then I understand about the bad feeling that came up from it. Right. And then I was like, well, I forgive myself for not understanding you and I wish you had understood me. Then I put it on the silver platter and the platter floats up into the sky. And, but the thing is, this was like a runaway train. It was, I literally ran from early childhood all the way up to, like, the day before. It was like my whole life. And I, 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 in the middle of it, I'm going, this is still happening? That damn silver platter is wow. coming back down again? But so it happened, and then clear, you know, like you say you hear a voice. You don't actually hear it, but it, it's almost like yeah. you hear it inside your head, right? And the voice goes yeah. is from one of my guides. My guides have senses of humor. So my guides mm-hmm. basically say, you know, you really don't have to die to do this you know, the whole point of seeing your life, reviewing your life before you go. You you can do it now. Get it out of the way now.
0: (laughs) Well, so you can enjoy (laughs) a free day of not having to worry about all this.
1: Uh Don't buy that crap you see me here, you know? You you don't have
0: to. I'm going to put put everything on a silver platter from now on. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. You know what? That's like letting go and letting God. Okay, take care and have a good night's sleep and uh, see you uh, soon. Take care of yourself. And thanks again. Okay. okay. Right. Talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Well, I have had so much to think about. I don't know if, how the listeners feel about this, but David Harvey has given us a lot to think about tonight, and uh, I really appreciate his candor and his expertise and a uh, wonderful guy. I want to thank you all for listening and uh you can listen again in archives, and uh, so it takes a few minutes. So, after the show, you may, it's, the show will be made available. Anyway, next week's guest is going to be the awesome and wonderful Steve Hudgens. I can hardly wait to hear his opinion on everything on the planet. Anyway, so follow the link to contact me, or you can message me if you would like to be part of our show or for general help and assistance. I want to thank all of our guests in chat. You guys are always the best. And thank you for those who called in and were listening, and also the listeners. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in every week. Uh, we really appreciate you. And uh, we have so many great shows coming up, and especially our anniversary show, which is going to be on Friday, October 30th, and the third anniversary of the Paranormal and Sacred. So you're cordially invited to join the party with Ed and Marsha Becker, And we're all going to be together. I'll be giving away some free books of theirs. And uh, just tune in then so we can have a party together. So remember to tell your friends about the Paranormal and Sacred. And the Paranormal and the Sacred is the place where the unheard may be heard. And I want to take care. God bless everybody. May your best dreams come through. And I wish you a good night.